Christian, it's Gene Simmons of KissOnline.com. A little Doc McGee-shaped birdie tells me that you're spending 15 or 16 hours talking about Avengers Endgame, which is the perfect occasion to mention the upcoming leg of the Kiss End of the Road Tour, which will roar into Stadthalle in Vienna, Austria, May 29th, and on May 31st in Munich, Germany, at a wonderful venue called Königsplatz, which is the only German phrase I know. Loosely translated, it means, bring me three more girls just like this one. Unfortunately, neither Tommy nor Eric will be able to perform at the Vienna show, but I'm happy to announce one-time replacements Peter and Ace, Von Trapp. Yes, the latest generation of the first family of Austrian music knows how to rock and roll all night and party every day. Be prepared for a very unique set list with mashups like Christine 16 going on 17 and a medley entitled Sound of Music from the Elder. Then, at our Munich show, in the Spaceman makeup will be actor Christoph Waltz as his Inglorious Bastards character Hans Landa, whose commentary between songs will make you feel like Ace is back on tour with us. And in the role of the Catman, German Chancellor Angela Merkel's nephew Klaus Merkel, who is so bad that you'd swear it's the original Catman Peter Chris. Tickets available now at KISS online. Com. While this may be the end of the road for Kiss on Tour, it's actually the beginning of what Paul and I are referring to as Phase 4, with the end of an era for the Marvel Cinematic Universe, or as it's commonly known as the MCU. The timing is perfect for the launch of the KCU, the Kiss Cinematic Universe, which we hope will do for the superhero genre what we did for Arena Football. The KCU will begin in 2021, with a new version of that 1978 classic, Kiss Meets the Phantom, which will then spin off into a series of solo films, including Spaceman and the Wasp, Weekend at Star Childs, and The Vinnie Vincent Story, also known as Tootsie. I would tell you about the rest of our film slate, but unfortunately I'd have to kill you with the new Kiss Katana, Kiss Ninja Stars, or Kiss Cat Nine Tales, all available now at KissOnline.com, and all of which will be featured in our film titled Deadpool Destroys Ace Frehley's Solo Career. Ha ha, just kidding, Ace doesn't need any help with that. In theaters next Christmas. Thank you for your time, Christian. You're a very attractive man of great sexual power. Long live the Blatcast, and long live Kiss. Online.com Continuing our ongoing coverage of Avengers Endgame. The greatest movie of all time, question mark. Almost as good as Avatar if you only look at box office numbers. And uh, somebody who uh, strictly looks at everything by the numbers, our special guest for the entire show today, the one and only Mr. Rob Lorich. Hello, sir. Hi, Christian. Thanks for taking my call. 
a longtime listener, first time caller. Love the topic. Love the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks. Uh, and of course, Rob is on Twitter at rlorich. Or did I just mess that up? I I, I, I think it is. But what's happening? <laughs> oh, hey, look, my phone's ringing. Let's just turn that off. <laughs> nice timing. I love the um, uh, I, I love the cell phone with the old timey ring. Yeah, you know? the old timey ring. Yeah. Uh, what you should probably here, if you want to check something out, check out my Instagram because I'm putting on all my vacation photos from my Japan trip six months ago. I'm finally doing it. Right. And is that RJ's photo pics? Correct. RJ's photo pics. Yes. So uh, so that's that's where the real action is, you know. Uh, Twitter is uh, – well, Twitter's good to w- watch you just sort of lightly antagonize people you uh, might not agree with 100%. That's true. It's, it's a lot of shit throwing and occasionally something funny but rare. Well, you know, sometimes the shit throwing in and of itself is funny, but uh, you can always use that Twitter to promote the black cast where we find ourselves today. Now, Rob, usually when we talk to you, we did this before Captain Marvel and before Infinity War. Usually you've assigned yourself a very lengthy reading list, but I feel like your reading list for Captain Marvel and your reading list for Infinity War, in all honesty, probably contained most, if not everything, you would have needed for before this movie. So did you read or reread anything comic book-wise leading up to Endgame? I, after, Captain, after my Captain Marvel reading list, I have not read a single comic. I got burned out. I know that my next wave of comics will have, which would be uh, picking up where I left off, going through Infinity Crusade, the final, the third part of the Infinity Trilogy, as it's known as. It has nothing, it has no relevance in the film, so I just, I needed a break. So is Infinity Crusade when Thanos becomes Pope? Is, is that what that is? Because that sounds that's, like what that, that would that's be. That's correct. Yeah. He, leads a, he, he leads a crusade against the Muslim world, and yeah. it's pretty brutal. Yeah, I, not, not a very popular comic in 2019. In fact, no. you, have to, you have to hunt around for the, uh, the Infinity Crusade. But uh, yeah, and I don't know. I mean, I think that, you know, I think since I talked to you, I think I did this after I talked to you. Now I forget. But I read The Death of Captain Marvel, Marvel, uh, for the first time. And I think you and I actually did talk about that. Yeah, we did. Yeah. And that is some of my most familiarity with Thanos. I remember Thanos from the original Infinity War, but they kind of brought the character back. No, that was called Infinity Gauntlet, sorry, the, the comic book in the early 90s. You know, he really wasn't around for a long time when I was first reading comics from, like, the mid-80s, you know, into the 90s. That was not a, uh, a heyday for Thanos, you know? It was. It seemed like they had a design on keeping him dead, but, uh, well, you can't, you, can't, uh, you can't keep a mad titan down. Isn't that what they say? That is what they say. Yeah, he was dead for for quite some time. They must they must have killed him in the seventies. Because even in the death of Captain Marvel, they have to use a, a, one of those little well, I don't know, I guess timey wimey tricks to kind of have him yeah. interact with Marvel after he's dead. You know, and and yeah, it seemed like there. I mean, as crazy as it sounds, there was an edict at one point within Marvel that if somebody died, they stayed dead. You know, I mean, but. The crazy thing is that I think Jean Grey stayed dead for five years. Oh, it? I think because I, I think that was 1980, and X Factor number one is 1985. I mean, possibly 86, but it's not more than that. Well, was it John Byrne? 
did John Byrne technically technically bring her back in Fantastic Four, or well, the, was that an X book where they so, used the Fantastic Four? So there's a Fantastic I've Four. I've never read that. There's Fantastic Four two eighty six that has her on the cover in the black dress from uh, Uncanny one hundred, and then there's also. Avengers 263, which is kind of them finding this cocoon under the water. Uh, so that story, you know, they didn't create that story and then it led to X Factor. They sort of reverse engineered it. There was X Factor planned and then they decided oh. to make an event out of uh, Gene showing up. Uh, and I don't know, as you're, and it's funny because you'd think that this is a conversation we'd be having uh, ahead of Dark Phoenix. Dark as, as your comic book resurrections go, it wasn't the worst explanation that, like, well, she's not Phoenix anymore. This is Jean. Jean got put in a box when Phoenix took over. And I didn't love that they brought her back, but I'm like, all right, they at least put a little bit of thought into it, you know? It's not like, oh, yeah, she was dead, but now she's not. So I, I don't, don't mind that. I, that. To me, it all goes back to when I, I finally became a horror fan from watching the Friday the 13th when yeah. I was a teenager on USA Network. And I love really great horror series and i i equally love really shitty ones and to me the fun of those films is they always kill the monster bad serial killer bad guy thing whatever at the end and i like and it's never the same writers who come back for the next sequel and i like it's fun to see what kind of bullshit they make up to bring the guy back yeah <laughs> and i actually i actually i legitimately enjoy that i get a kick out of it yeah so I don't know what they did to explain uh, Thanos back, but I remember he was back for Infinity Gauntlet. It was a pretty big event. Uh, sort of in the waning days of me reading the Marvel Universe as a whole, because uh, at a certain point in the in the late 90s, uh, I just carved out a little corner with, I think it was, it, by the time that I was done, it was just the two X-Men books, Uncanny and the regular X-Men. And everything else, I was just like, I'm, I'm just staying out of it. You know, I yeah. uh, I had trouble letting go. You know, it, look, it, that was my Brokeback Mountain. I couldn't quit the X-Men. All right. I just sure. couldn't do it. But uh, so my comic book knowledge of Thanos is microscopic. Uh, and I was thinking about this on the drive over. Obviously, you've read a lot more stories with him in it. How do you feel they did capturing him? Uh, let's just look at only the two movies because there's some inconsistencies with you know post credit scenes and little cameos that he had. You know right. he, he never he didn't look the same. But once they they defined him for Infinity War, I thought they did a great job. Were there were there aspects of Thanos that you felt like they ought to have done better from the comics? Well, I don't know. I don't know if I want to say better. I'm 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 a purist. I want them. All these movies, all these TV adaptions, I want them to be as close to the comics as possible, down to the the hair color. You know, sure. I'm still pissed off that um, you know Matt Murdock isn't a strawberry blonde instead of a brunette that they kind of gave red highlights to. That's a great point. But um, no, I mean it's it's a legitimate interpretation of him. It's he's actually a pretty nuanced character in the comics, so I don't want to say he's more nuanced. They make him. Uh, more sympathetic to an extent. I think he's more sadistic in the comics. Um, I think I mentioned this when we talked about Infinity War. It was interesting in this film, not to skip ahead, but how they gave Nebula probably the biggest you know, part to play that she'd had since it, this is like her fourth film. Yeah, I, 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 that's one of the biggest surprises of the movie, that Nebula was such an important character. You know, so important that there's two of her in it. But, uh, yeah, the fact that, you know, she is such a singularly important character. And 
you know, I couldn't help but uh, be happy for Karen Gillan, a.k.a. Amy Pond herself. It, it's just like, good, she's finally getting to shine for having to keep her head shaved for, I don't know, four years or whatever it's been. You know what I mean? And, yeah. you know, she's finally getting – but that's the thing. is like, does she get more roles from this movie? Because you, you don't you don't see her. see her. Yeah. So it's like, oh, we want you, but we're going to need the skull cap and blue face again. So. They'll probably get more work off of Jumanji. Yeah. They're going to do another one of them. Well, they, I believe they um, are doing another one of them. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So. But no, in the comics, she she plays a really big part in the original, Infin- original Infinity Gauntlet. But there's some – I forgot what happens if you, Thanos like lights her on fire and then uses the gauntlet to keep her alive like this tortured zombie. So he does really cruel stuff in the comics. Yeah. And they, they – I mean that's a little bit much for a, a film I, I know. I get, I understand that, um, but I think you still got the point that he's willing to go through. Obviously, anybody he killed, you know, um, Gamora. He's yeah, willing to the, kill whatever he supposedly loves. However, that's one difference in the comics. I don't think he's, he's ever loved anybody other than Lady Death. Yes, I, I was going to say not, that. Not, yeah. late, not Lady Death, copyright, um, whichever comic company writes the Lady Death comic, which is right. a different thing. But yeah, right. death personified and, as a woman, and also not Lady Deathstrike. That is a different character Correct. entirely. So yes. uh, you got to you got to keep all these moving parts in line. Uh, well, no, yeah. they did a, I think they did overall. It, they did a good job. You know, it, in some ways, it's a little it's a little more simplistic in the comics. Uh, on the other hand, you have decades of stories, so you yeah. learn more about him as they progress. So I think it, I think it's fair. I think it's a very fair adaptation. Yeah, and as we've talked a number of times here on the Blackcast, you know, the the best adversaries are the ones who rationally state their case and you can at least agree with their point of view, you know, up until a certain point, you know, and it, it's just like, it's like, well, you know, if only there were half as many people, food would go around more. Yeah, yeah, that's right, buddy. If only. Yeah, I'm gonna have to kill half the people. Whoa, whoa, whoa! No, that was that was the, the that was the point too far. You know, it just. Uh, uh, so I think that he's very rational, and even late in this movie, when he realizes he wants to get a do-over, and he's gonna make it so that the half the population doesn't remember what happened before. So they yeah. don't have that longing for the way things were. So, uh, you know, and I, I think up until that point, uh, like he spends a good chunk of this movie sitting and letting other people do things for him, you know? Yeah. And ever since, you know, speaking now of times where he was introduced, you know, the the first few film iterations of the character, it was like, yeah, yeah, Loki's going to go take care of this stuff. Other people are going to do things. Thanos is going to sit. You know, instead of trying to find the Infinity Stones, I'm going to let people find them for me. What about that? So, uh, but I do think that sort of helps when you really get to see more physical combat with Thanos in this movie, you know, than I think even in Infinity War, especially the final sequence. But as... When he's he's wielding that that helicopter blade or whatever that was. Right, exactly. Yeah, and uh, that yeah that that w- that was very impressive, and you know just you're just reminded of of how massive and impressive he is, and it uh, I think for me, and I said this in the past on, on the podcast, the the most surprising thing was everybody gets together at the start of the movie. They're like, we're gonna go find him. We're gonna get the stones back, and they they actually get to him. 
they cut off his arm, cut off his head. That's exactly the 20-minute mark of the movie. And I was like, oh, wow, I thought they were going to get together. He was going to kick their asses even worse, maybe lose a couple of people. You know, I that my my prediction was that uh, Carol was going to show up and be like, yeah, just you wait. You got me now. And then, you know, he was going to probably kill some more Avengers, including her. And then they would have to, you know, figure out a different way to beat him. And that's where the time travel was going to come in. Mm. I did not expect him to lose his head 20 minutes in. So yeah, I, I was, was I was shocked by that. I I was, thought, at worst, I thought they just go, oh, he's pathetic. Let's split. Yeah, yeah. Well, you I, know, I, I, I didn't think Thor was going to cut his head off. No, yeah, yeah, definitely not. So, uh, so there were definitely a lot of uh, su- legitimate surprises, things that I did not see coming. There are things that some people have told me they saw coming that just proves that they're smarter than I did. So, I wanted to ask you a big picture question, Rob. Uh, just sort of overall thoughts on the movie as a movie. But then also transition into this idea that this is the culmination of a 22-movie story, the likes of which I can safely say we will never get anything like this again. You won't have that many films interweaving. You know, I think future phases of Marvel will probably, you know, build up to a big team-up movie, but it it won't be anything like this. So your thoughts on the movie on a whole and then also as kind of the the punctuation mark on these uh, first three phases. Well, the way you, you set that up is perfect because that's how I have to do this. I, the first time I saw it, which was opening night, I was supposed to go with friends on Sunday. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not waiting. And I found a single ticket. Right. You could find And I went Friday night. The first time I saw it, I was not blown away. I liked it a lot. But my first thought is, oh, this isn't even in my top 10. I right. said it just, you know. And again, these are my first impressions are, and we can, we'll go back on all this stuff and talk a little bit more in detail is number one, that whole middle section just feels like it's back to the future too. It's the whole movie is nothing but callbacks to all the other films. I don't like what they've done to Thor, but the last 20 minutes or 10 minutes or whatever was amazing. And I was just kind of, and I thought it was just overload. The ending was just, it was so much so many characters, so much CGI. It looked, it was the first time in these 20, is this 22? I think this one is 22, yeah. So it's the first time really in these 22 films that it ends like almost every DC film ends. A big, dusty, dark, dingy, ash and sparks in the air, CGI, post-apocalyptic looking wasteland that I don't like. It looks like a bad video game. I still liked it, but I was disappointed. I saw it two days later with a different mindset because I realized I, I personally don't know how to judge this. I don't know how to rank it as a standalone film right. because to me, there's nothing about this film that is standalone. It, it can't stand by itself. It is an epilogue to the 21 previous films. It's the final chapter to this. There's, there's nothing about this that stands on its own. The entire thing. Every scene, almost every line, is in reference to something from one of the previous 21 films. And that's just, it's a unique thing. So I went in expecting, because they're like, oh no, this is independent. I heard reviewers saying, oh, you you know what? You don't have to have seen all the films. And afterward, I said, you're nuts. I said, you need to see many, if not most of the films, I think, to fully appreciate it. Maybe not understand it. Maybe you can understand it without those. But to appreciate it, you know, why is Robert Redford here? 
Why yeah. is this? Per- what's with the elevator? All that stuff won't make sense if you have no point of reference. So when I went to see it the second time, and I went in with the mindset of, okay, this is really, a, uh, not only is it the final chapter of this decade plus of, of, of a film universe they built, it's also very much a victory lap. And when I went in with that mindset, I loved it. Now I just I loved it. I still can't rank it. I, I don't know where to place it in the rest of the films. Like my favorite, my, I don't. It's it's too unique in my mind. But now I love it. Yeah, I couldn't put it on a list of oh, you should watch these ten movies because it's like you can definitely enjoy it without having seen all of them. Um, you know, for various reasons, my wife never saw Doctor Strange. Uh, you can certainly see this and not having seen Doctor Strange, but you know, so there's that Wait moment. There's that moment. Your, your wife, Heather, never saw Doctor Strange, one of the only Marvel films that has a huge chunk of the story taking place in Asia. Racist. Yeah, I think she's as. I, look, we've established that my wife is, wow. a, is a self hater. You know, look, we know that. Uh, but no. And so, but you know, look, so when Bruce is talking to the ancient one, well, that's the one time that it's like, she's just like, well, yeah, I figured that was somebody from Dr. Strange because you know, he went to Dr. Strange's house, you know, so you can figure things out, but you appreciate that scene if you've seen the movie, you know? And so I think you can, you can take in a lot of things if you've seen most of the movies, but yeah, the movie really does work best when you've seen all of them. I would have loved to have had the kind of time over the past year even, you know, not people who tried to watch it and watch them all in the weeks leading up. I would have liked to have at least watched most of these movies again, you know, because who knew that they were going to spend so much time in Thor The Dark World, which just for whatever reason is my least favorite, you know? And a lot of people say that. And a couple said, well, this makes me like that movie more. Yeah. (laughs) It it makes it more relevant. It makes me want to watch it again for sure. You know? Uh, So I think that it it works really well like that. And look, I don't know. I just, uh, I I think you're absolutely right though. It's like, if you've seen none of these movies, don't go see this. Like you're, you're going to, it's not a great story for somebody to just, you know, jump in at the end. You know, if all your friends are going to see this, just, you know, go home and watch Captain America, first Avenger, or, you know, something from the short list. You can watch the first Avengers. You could probably watch that by itself. So yeah, I, I know what you're saying. I mean, I really felt a lot during it the first time I saw it. Cause I, so I saw it on a Tuesday. I went to a press screening and then Friday I went with my wife and uh, I've said multiple times on the black cast, uh, I cried numerous times the first time I saw it. And the second time I cried in all the same places. I'm like, you idiot. Like you knew that was coming, <laughs> you know, and it was all it was all like parent child related stuff, except for yeah. one, except for one moment, which is uh, when they're taking their final stand and uh, and Sam is like cap on your left. And then everybody comes out of the portals. That's like that's like happy that everybody it's like, oh, it worked. By I'm the way, s- I didn't even I didn't. That's that's one of the main uh, callbacks. Yeah, I didn't even catch. Oh, yeah. Which is and then that's someone's a great like, one. yeah, that's the first thing he ever or he ever said to Sam. Yeah, right. He's running around in Winter Soldier. Yeah, man, these guys did their shit. They knew their shit. The yeah, Russo. and, and by the way, it's they, not them. It's the guys who wrote it. It's not the Russos didn't write it. Right, uh, Marcus and uh, is it really McFeely? Like from Mister Rogers? Mister McFeely? Yeah, Mister McFe- Mister McFeely wrote it. Right. <laughs> no, <laughs> well, I look, I he, he was always on I a speedy delivery. I, I didn't. 
I didn't cry. I never cry. In, I don't think I've ever cried I, in a movie. I really theater. don't cry in movies, by the way. Since I've become a parent, I'm more. I'm a little bit more inclined well, sure. for stuff Especially like with this. Especially the parent, the parent yeah. children stuff. There's, then there's but big stuff got, in this movie, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I got a big lump in my throat from, you know, the deaths to the end. The first yeah. time I saw it, you know, how and the Captain America stuff I love. The second time I saw it, the second time I knew it was coming, I thought I was going to lose my shit. <laughs> I could feel it coming in my throat. I'm like, oh, my God. Oh my God! I'm, am I gonna cry? What the fuck? And then yeah. I, I somehow managed to pull it back. Yeah, I, I got really scared. I'm like, oh my! I saw this. What is? Don't lose it in the word cheeseburger. That's ridiculous. You know? Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, it's funny because that word cheeseburger. My uh, my co-host from one of the shows that I do, uh, Marvel Movie News on the Popcorn Talk Network. That's Thursdays at one Pacific, four Eastern, on the Popcorn Talk Network. Uh, my co-host Zach, like that cheeseburger is the thing. I think both of the first two times he saw it is what he told me uh, got him. But it's funny because Zach, everybody's my co- saying that's the number one line most people have lost on is cheeseburgers. Yeah. No, me. It's the I love. Love you three thousand. That's like forget it. That's that, a big one. That, that got that honestly, killed me. Yeah. Mine was, uh, mine was when, and I thought she was. Oh, that they play that scene. It was so well written. Uh, Tony's death scene. Yeah. With no dialogue, he actually tries to mumble something to her. I didn't. I never caught it. Right. Me either. But it, 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 there's no music. Oh, that's overbearing. It's not a bunch of, you know, was I a good man? He says he's so fried out he can't speak. And she comes in so calm. And I've never been a, a Gwyneth Paltrow fan, but I love her in this role. I always have. Yeah. And, and she's like, don't talk. And she's kind of smiling. And she's like, don't worry. You know, we're going to be fine. We're okay. You can rest now. And then he goes. And then she loses it after that. I'm like, That's just, that kills me yeah. every time. Right. And it's also, you know, for the second straight movie, like Peter Parker has like the most emotional, you know, in Infinity yeah. War. He's like, oh, Mr. Stark, I don't feel so good. And then this one, he's like, hey, Mr. Stark, Mr. Stark, oh, my God, we won. Everything's great. And it's just like, oh, my God, Peter, you moron. No, everything's not great. Look at him. You know? So, uh, yeah, I think that uh, – and by the way, this is one of those things that I noticed – Second viewing, and I I recently saw it for a third time, and uh, I think you've probably seen headlines, and most people listening have, that they kept as many spoilers away from Tom Holland as possible just because they can't trust him, uh, to the extent that they told him that Tony's funeral at the end of the movie was 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 Tony's wedding. Yeah. And (laughs) he's like, where's Tony? So, uh, but... When you look, the first time he shows up and he talks to Tony on the battlefield and he gets a hug, the majority of his dialogue is done uh, ADR, which is additional dialogue really? recording. Yeah, he's not on camera saying most of those things. He's like, hey, remember when we were in space oh, with Doctor Strange? Space? Yeah, oh. and then the rest of it is recorded after the fact because they're like, we can't let him walk around with this knowledge for a year that it's five years later and, you know, there's a lot of details that he spurts out. Oh, you're right. And he does it all off camera. You know, it's oh, like wow. all after the fact. And look, there's, you know, there's a lot of reasons why you do that sometimes. Like, there's actually a line that I didn't notice until the third time when Thor's mother says something along the lines of, you should eat some salad or yeah, something. She, it, she goes, eat a salad. Eat a like salad. Right yeah. And that's that you feel like that was definitely added at the last second. You know, that was like, yeah, they were was, like putting uh, the movie together. And the, punch, some yeah. comedian got paid to do punch up. Right. Exactly. And, and I mean, it's 
actually a line right out of Sopranos, so it's a nice touch. But uh, this, I, I honestly think it was because they can't trust that kid. You know, as, as great as I think Tom Holland is, uh, and because I think the choice to do an actual younger Peter Parker, not a guy in his mid-30s pretending to be 17, but a guy in his early, I think he was in his late teens the first, he was like 19 the first time he, they used him. I thought him. he was like actually 15 or 16 when he did Civil War. He might have been, you know, he might have been in Civil War, yeah, I think. He was yeah. the age that, yeah. I think Parker is 15 when he's first introduced yeah. in Amazing Fantasy. Yeah, he is. Yeah, no, he is. And, uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think someone finally had their, you know, their stuff right when I thought that. And it's like, because in the, uh, you know, look, there's two iterations of, of Spider-Man in movies and in both of them, he graduates high school in the second movie. I'm like, what's the rush? You know, let's, let's, uh, let's let that breathe a little bit more, spend a little bit more time in school, you know? (laughs) Hey, Spidey, don't drop out, which... By the way, to be fair, Peter Parker did drop out of grad school in the early 80s. So, uh, and, you know, devastating poor Aunt May. But that's, that's not he, he had a rough college time. His roommate was not only a supervillain, but a junkie. Yeah, I know. It's, well, you know, look, Harry Osborn loved the pills. You know, what are you going to do? Yeah. And uh, I think Harry, I think Harry dated MJ at one point, too, you know? So, but Ugh. that. That was that was uh you know when uh, Gwen Stacy could still breathe. So anyway, we're going sort of in a, a very uh, erratic, uh, circular fashion. But uh, that's that's the kind of film analysis we give you on the on the black cast. It's like a like a Catch Twenty Two or a Quentin Tarantino movie. You just have to really just pull on the strings, and you'll see where we end up. Um, so a lot of really cool imagery, things that. I really appreciated. One of the things I keep forgetting to talk about on the black cast is there's that moment when the Avengers compound gets basically nuked by Thanos and the Hulk is holding up all of that rock and trying to keep uh, Rhodey and Rocket safe. I mean, to me, that's... Homage to Secret Wars. Yeah, the cover of Secret Wars number four. Yep. And uh, that was the first issue of Secret Wars that I bought. I had to years... It took me years to finally get the first three. And I always loved that idea that the Hulk's like, yeah, I can do this, but you know, I can't do it forever. You know, I can hold this, but eventually I'm going to have to let go. And I don't know, I just like stuff like that. You know, I mean, I've talked about the... The Thanos, like, scarecrow that he has out in the field of his armor, which is directly out of Infinity Gauntlet, I believe. Infinity Gauntlet, number six. Yeah, and then also, you know, that last image from Infinity War of him sitting on the porch, you know, just that's also from Infinity Gauntlet. So I like how they're able to use that imagery. And then just uh, some of the some of the realization of of things that have been going running through so many movies. So it was hard to not be excited. Huge emotional roller coaster. But the biggest thing I wanted to talk to you about is something you already referenced, which is Thor, because I know that you don't like how Thor has become basically uh, basically he's become the the joke character, the funny one, you know, Uh, uh, for years on this podcast, Will was always saying that somebody needed to be the funny one. He thought that it should have been Doctor Strange. And I'm like, you've never read a Doctor Strange comic, have you? And he said no. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, it's not him. And I guess I guess they've really just settled on Thor. Uh, so give me your thoughts on sort of the evolution of Thor from Ragnarok, Infinity War, and then now to Fat Thor. And uh, just your your overall feelings on what they've done with him. Yeah, I love Thor. I've read a lot of Thor. I don't like Thor... And, and this is, I have to kind of draw a line of demarcation. 
Thor being funny is one thing. Like in this first couple movies, in the first couple Avengers, he's funny in the fish out of water way. Because he's not of Earth, he's from Asgard, he's a prince and all that space shit. So, you know, it's like, you know, when he's drinking the coffee or whatever, he goes another one and smashes it down as if it's a, a empty flask of ale in the Great Hall of Asgard. Right. And when he's in that diner in Thor 1. So stuff like that is fine. The pro- my problem is with starting from Ragnarok is they make him too much and too often a buffoon. He's he's stupid. Even in Infinity War, he's like sweet raccoon or sweet rabbit. Yeah. Okay. By saying sweet rabbit, that means Thor knows what a rabbit is, and Rocket <laughs> obviously isn't a rabbit, so it's stupid. That kind of stuff I don't like. And I and then the fact that now they made him fat, and I'm like, oh, I want, I want, I want. Thor, Thor, like Thor was so overall so kick ass in Infinity War when he shows up at the end, he just starts laying waste, right, and stuff like that. So as much as all of that bothers me, Chris Hemsworth and his his performance and his comedic timing is so undeniably entertaining. I just it is what it is. I I enjoy it's. I part of me doesn't like it. The purest in me is like, well, that's not Thor. It's it's very much like. Um, Quicksilver in the X-Men movies. Yeah. That kid is the most entertaining thing in the last couple X-Men movies. That is not Quicksilver. That bears no resemblance yeah. to the character on the page. However, it's undeniably entertaining. So I just, you know, it's just one of my, my super nerdy purest quirks I gotta I gotta get over. However, um I heard one of the um YouTube shows I've watched, you know, seeing reactions of I, I watched uh, occasionally I'll watch episodes of Collider. Which uh, Roxy Stryer's part of? That's right, my pal Roxy Stryer's over there. Yeah, and it might—it may have been one of the Collider shows or something else. And they brought up a really great point um, as to why, and maybe part of the reason, anyway, they've done this with Thor is Thor is too powerful, so they have to figure out creative ways to, in essence, depower him or take him off off the chessboard. He couldn't be in Civil War because he would have laid waste to everybody on whatever side he wasn't on. Same yeah. with Hulk. So yeah, what do that, they do? They create excuses to not have them there. It's yeah, even, and I, you know, I think in, in Civil War that absolutely made sense. There, there, you know, you couldn't have them involved and have that movie actually play out the way that they wrote it. In, yeah. In Ragnarok, he spends half the time with that inhibitor chip on his head, right, or whatever it was, right, or his neck. Yeah. That depowered him. Plus, he's fighting in space, so it's a little more even. It's you know, he can encounter big creatures that can take him on. Obviously, Hulk is one. Then you get to um, Infinity War, and he's off in space for most of the film. Then he only shows up in the end and starts kicking ass. So in this film, what do they do? They make him depressed and fat. They they always find a different way so that he can't just beat the hell out of everybody because he's so powerful. Which, if I could bend this a little bit into one of my other topics. I thought this film made, and a lot of people just said, eh, I didn't like it, I still don't like her. I thought this film used Captain Marvel perfectly. Yeah, I've, I've definitely said that. I, and the fascinating thing, and I've talked about this and we'll talk about it again, it just comes up so much. I can't believe that they filmed this before the Captain Marvel yeah, movie. I know, it's weird. Because it's like, well, no, now they've got a handle on the character. I guess it's just difference in directors. Also, I guess they were trying to tell a bigger story. So you made her scenes count in this movie. I thought that, yeah, this is this is what she should be, basically. Just yeah. kind of fly in and, you know, I mean, she 
pulls off the Infinity Gauntlet. Nobody should be able to do that. She came so close to taking out. So did, by the way, uh, props to um, Scarlet Witch. Yeah. She almost took him out. That, yeah, th- those are two those of my awesome scenes. Those are two of my favorite moments in the movie because uh, obviously in this iteration, both of their powers come from Infinity Stones, so it actually makes sense. But the fact that you know Scarlet Witch is such a can be such a powerful character and isn't usually portrayed that way, and just the way like her takedown of Thanos, that his only course of action was to drop missiles on his entire army so that she would let him go because yeah. he's like I'm not getting out of this you know this this chick is way too strong yeah I, I agree I think that they used both of them really well and I think it took them a little while to get a handle on Wanda you know I think uh, that you know she's she's young she just ha- had gotten her powers in Ultron I get all that but uh, to find to see what she's capable of is uh, something that I think is great for the future huh. and uh, you know I I don't know what where and especially when the next Captain Marvel movie will be but I hope that it's a little bit more like this and I like I really liked watching her interact with other characters you know um, she, I, I thought we went back to our previous discussion on Captain Marvel. And it, it's happening exactly in film as it does in her own book. She works better in a team dynamic. Right. I don't know what it is. It's, it, but, again, it's that same Thor thing is they got to have her. She's going to, I assume, spend most of her solo films in space where she can counter big, massive, powerful beings to fight because against regular people, yeah. like grunt soldiers, it's no contest. Yeah. You yeah know, I mean, she, that, but it was so cool the way she took out Thanos' ship. And like you said, she went in. Toe to toe. Yeah. And he was like, holy shit. And then he pulls that trick, which was pretty cool with the, where he pulled the power stone off and yeah. decked it. Right, exactly. And I thought, but, they, uh, but it's the same Thor problem. They got a, it's, it's a power level issue. Yeah, and I mean, you know, amongst the things that they did to Thor, you know, at the beginning of Ragnarok, they they destroyed Mjolnir, you know? I mean, it's like, ah, yep, you don't need that. But then, of course, you know, he ends up with a, with a, with a bigger, better, uh, you know, Warhammer. So, uh, wait, no, Stormbreaker. Warhammer is a, is like a little toy set that my friend Brad plays. By the way, uh, have you heard the theory on Cap lifting the hammer? I have in not relation he- to Age of Ultron. I have not heard that theory, but I've talked about how he got it to budge in Ultron. And uh, I, I, well, I've heard a theory, but I'm interested in the one that, that you're going to put forth. What well, do you- the, original, the Ultron thing always bugged me that he couldn't lift the hammer because in the comics, that's actually what unites him with the Avengers in Avengers number four is they thaw him out of the ice and they're fighting him. They, like this guy's a phony. I forgot what their, what their beef was and they're fighting. And at one point, he intercepts or picks up Thor's hammer yeah. when the Avengers are fighting Cap, and, he, and Thor says, stop. He says, if this man can lift my hammer, you know, he's worthy and he's a good man and he is who he says he is, right. and that's what brings them together. Now, in the film, in Age of Ultron, he, when they're all drunk and playing the game of who can lift the hammer, and Hawkeye says, it's a trick. They're all you know, taking turns. Yeah. Cap budges it, and Thor looks worried, and he just goes, can't do it. You move on, and I'm like, oh, that sucks. That's kind of bullshit. But in, within that film, I'm like, okay, they only laid that down so that at the end, Vision could hand it to Thor. And you're like, oh, my God, Vision lifted his hammer. Yeah. So I thought, okay, they did that. Nobody can do it just for that gig. I guess a while later at some convention, Joss Whedon, when asked about that, said why, something like, why, couldn't, why did you decide that Cap couldn't lift the hammer? He said, or something like that. And Whedon replied, I'm paraphrasing, well, is it that he couldn't lift the hammer 
that he couldn't lift it or that he stopped lifting or he quit. Yeah, he didn't want to. He didn't want to show Thor up. And I also and kind of remember kind of what this plays into it, and that's what I'm going yeah. with is he was so nice he didn't want to show Thor up. Right, he could always lift the hammer, and that's what it means when Thor says, "I knew it." Yeah, right. Exactly. I think uh, that 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 is what it means. And Thor also kind of quickly grabs it, you know. So like, all right, that's enough of that game where we pretend yeah. that Steve can pick it up. But I was not actually expecting to see that happen obviously at the moment when it starts flying through the air i know where it's going but it was still i was still legitimately surprised that uh that they had it and uh i thought uh that you know look there's a lot of things in here that you can say is fan service but it's also just like well it's fan service because it's really an awesome thing that happens in the movie yeah, I, and, I hate i really hate that term yeah it, well, it's fan service i'm like well no it's from the book it's yeah. just good at that adaptation to me. It's going back to the source material. You know, it's... it's yeah, I mean, I, I would say it's saying... It's a loaded term to me. I don't yeah, like it. I would say saying Avengers Assemble is a little bit more a, a, an example of that because of the simple fact they're already assembled at that but point. have also been waiting, like, every movie since the <laughs> Avengers for him to say it. I know. You know? Yeah, like, exactly. finally. But, uh, uh, go ahead. Um, no, but, I mean, that was just seeing him... That fight, especially the second time... That was the, some of the most intense stuff they've done in any of these films. You yeah. had the big – and by the way, that was cool having the first fight be – that is the, the trinity of the Avengers, Cap, Iron Man, and Thor. Yeah. And it was a longstanding thing uh, uh, throughout the comics for decades. They said whenever, whenever one of those three guys wasn't on the team, the book went to shit. You had to have one of the big three on that. But the idea of just the three of them trying to take him – and they're literally trying to cut his head off. Yeah. Like when Thor has both the hammer and Stormbreaker going at Thanos right in his face, and then Cap jumps behind him trying to pull it yeah. into his spot. That was intense. <laughs> yeah, and I, I do love how uh, Cap works the hammer and the shield at the same time, basically. You know, that he's, was awesome. Yeah, so. Um, what, was, what were the big uh, – well, I'll tell you. My, the big surprise – everybody knew something was going to happen with both Cap and Iron Man. Sure, yeah. They're both going to die, and my predict what I hoped would happen was that Steve would use the stones to kind of go back to a little pocket universe and stay with Peggy Carter, da Peggy Carter dancing or something. Yeah, so I'm like, okay, I was happy. I was eh, maybe in the right ballpark of that. Yeah, no, Black I was. Widow, I, I didn't see coming at all. I was very happy with that, and uh, I I actually thought all of the original Avengers from the Avengers film would all die in this movie, partially because of contract things that they weren't going to be in any more movies. So I liked that that's actually not what they did. You know, uh, it's just where I felt it was going to go. It was like, well, you know, these ones are going to sacrifice themselves, but then there's going to be, what, like 20-some-odd more Avengers to choose from for future movies. So I like what they did much better. And that's not even like what I was hoping to happen. I just had, I just had to, uh, I just called it women's intuition that that's what was going to happen. Uh, I love what happened with, uh, with Steve. Uh, and, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, I, I guess it's created a lot of questions for people, but at the same time, it's like, you can do, you can do anything when you're traveling around in time. And we've already established multiverses, you know, Loki disappears from what is essentially a moment that is 
concurrent with the original Avengers film. He creates a, a, a multiverse, a pocket timeline right there. So you have a lot of different things going on at the same time. Uh, I thought that uh, Tony's death makes perfect sense considering that his movie was first and sort of the growth of that character uh, in that time. I I wonder if Tony Stark in this movie could have lifted Thor's hammer. He certainly couldn't have in Iron Man 1. You're right. You know, I just wonder if he would have been able to. Uh, But to sort of what you were saying before is that, yeah, I didn't have – the expectation that Black Widow was going to die, even in that scene, because it was so back and forth between her and Hawkeye, it made sense. She was the one who wanted to sacrifice herself, which is why I thought it was actually going to be Clint. I thought that, you know, he was just like, no, I've kind of really been a bad dude the last few years. Uh, I think this is my way to redeem myself for the sake of my family. Yeah. Uh, So I I thought that that's, that sequence was great. And, you know, watching it again for the third time, I feel like, you know what, they did a decent job uh, mourning her. You know, that was one of those things that people were like, why wasn't Tony's funeral also like a, a moment for her? I'm like, yeah, that that's a valid that's a valid uh, yeah. complaint. But they're also not going to stop and have a funeral for her at the moment when they all come back because of the stakes of everything that has to happen. So. I felt like they handled it well. That's what that character felt like was the best course of action for her. That's what she wanted to do. It's you know she'd been working so hard to keep this dream alive of of fixing everything, and that was her part. So I don't know. I thought it. I thought it was great. Uh, what did you think about that being the end of Natasha Romanoff? Well, in one hand, like they say, if you don't care about the characters, then you don't give a shit when they die. So it bothered me in a, I guess in a good way because I cared. What bothered me is I don't think Scarlett Johansson is particularly a really good actress. I think she's very flat. I think she's kind of boring, but I love her in this role because I think it suits it. Yeah, I think she's great in this role. And, and she, uh, by this the way, is the best performance. But, that scene where she's actually eating a sandwich and tearing up, yeah. I thought was the best thing I've ever seen her do in these films. Yeah, I agree. By the way, her acting is the only thing you could characterize as flat when it comes to Scarlett yes, Johansson. I mean, you know, I, I just felt like for the record, this being the black cast, I had to actually say that. Uh, but yeah, I thought she was great in this movie, that scene in particular, and just sort of when she's talking to, it's, I guess it's, no, it's not the same scene. It's, it's right before it. She's talking to Rhodey about Clint and like, you know, it pains her, but she's like, we gotta, we gotta find him, you know? Uh, so... Yeah, so it, I, it made you care. Yeah. The, what bothers me about it, and not a big deal, like I said, I think it, it, it serves the story well, and I, I cared about it. And they, these people, they don't want to be doing these movies forever. They, got, they want to do other things in their careers. I get it. But I wanted to see her be the leader going forward of the Avengers. Because I think after Captain America, she has the, she's put in the most time as leader of the Avengers throughout the decades of the comic. So I've read, a, when I started reading the Avengers in the early to mid-90s, she was the leader. So that was, I'm like, oh, this sucks. I wanted to see her kind of call the shots going forward, but no, she's gone. So I don't know what they're going to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I actually don't know who, well, no, Cap was still on the team when I first started reading. And there's a point where the Monica Rambo Captain Marvel was the, was the leader uh, at one point. I remember that. And then, uh, I don't know. And then there's like, uh, there's like the, that character. I think is was he just the druid, and he was really somebody else. Uh, I don't know. Thank you. Well, Doctor Doctor Druid. Yeah, he was kind of like a poor man's Doctor Strange. Yeah, right. Exactly. 
<laughs> and that, which, by the way, the people are debating who's going to lead. I think the only choice now is Doctor Strange. Just because he did when they when they finally when Marvel said, "Look," and I think this would have been, oh God, I don't remember about a, eh, a decade ago, a decade plus, and they said, "We're finally going to make the Avengers." like the Justice League, well, we're just going to pull big, the biggest characters and put them on the team. And they never yeah. did that before. You kind of had most of them were just from the Avengers. They stayed on the Avengers. And then you had Cap, Thor, and Iron Man popping in and out. They had their own books. But when they said, okay, we're going to bring in Spider-Man, we're going to bring in Wolverine, and they did that, they brought in Doctor Strange. And I, I don't know if he was the official. They always called him, it was the chairman position. And right. it used to rotate like once a month in the book. They'd say they'd take turns being the, the, the chairman of the, uh, the Avengers. That's interesting. Yeah. But um, I think it was pretty much Doctor Strange. It's more or less that he was the oldest. He was probably the smartest. Which, by the way, the first thing I thought of is with Tony gone, who's going to fix all their shit? Like yeah. Spider-Man suit and Rhodey's suit. Who's in charge of this stuff now? Because clearly, uh, you know, Bruce is very smart in specific areas, but he couldn't even figure out time travel, you know? Which Yeah, he's not a big engineer. <clears throat> yeah, like exactly. Tony. So, I mean, I think that's a good question, you know, as to to who's the more hands-on when it comes to any of that stuff. I mean, sure. I, did you like Hulk, by the way? I liked Hulk. I thought it was great. I, I, I liked Professor Hulk. I have usually not liked Smart, smart Hulk. Uh, the, the gray, uh, like bouncer, Joe fix it. Hulk is actually kind of one of my favorites, but apart from that, I always like, I like when Hulk has a little bit of intelligence and can be reasoned with, you know, when he can only Hulk smash, it, it gets tiresome, but when he's actually able to be Bruce, I usually don't like it when he has Bruce's level of intelligence, but the reveal of professor Hulk and just sort of the way he carries himself, and uh, a moment that I've referenced uh, before when uh, they go to New Asgard and, and Thor kind of grabs him and he's just like, let go of me, you know, because it's just like, don't forget, I'm still the Hulk, yeah. you know, so, just because just I'm sort of this like goofy in between. Although that's a great line that uh, Valkyrie has. It's like, I think I liked you better either of the other ways, you know. Yeah. So uh, I thought that that was, a, that was a very cool surprise. And uh, I, I know I really enjoy it. And I thought that this is a this is yet another uh, great movie for uh, for Scott Lang Ant Man. I thought he was yep. great, obviously in his standalone movie. I liked him in uh, Ant Man and the Wasp. He was great in uh, Civil War, you know. So typically, I really like I really like how that character works with the other superheroes, and I do love how he basically fangirls over Captain America, you know. So yeah. I, I love stuff like that. So that was that was another line too. Every every freaking line, especially in the, like last the third act, they're all references to the previous films. Right. Yeah. The, the I think the only line the Wasp gets. Yeah. Is they him and she's with Ant Man and they say something and Wasp says okay Cap. Yeah. And right. Each other. That's because she made fun of him in Ant Man and Wasp for referring to Captain America as, as Cap. Cap. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you felt the first time you saw it, you thought that the, there was some of it that lagged a little bit, but, uh, upon, uh, subsequent viewing or viewings and then having time to think about it, are there particular flaws that stand out for you in the movie or are you just able to look at it, you know, just basically quantify it on its successes and what it does well? Uh, the latter, I really can't. Again, there's, there, I can't. There's nothing, nothing I could pick out and say. Well, this is a flaw, unless I was judging it in and of itself as a standalone film. And again, most of those, you know, finger quotes flaw, flaws 
would be the fact that it so relies on the previous 21 films. It just, it does, it just right. does not stand by itself at all, I don't think, as a standalone film. So, but taken for what it is, or maybe it's what I choose to see it as, as this big epilogue to the, the final chapter, this long, long, long series, I mean, there, there's nothing in there I can really complain about. I mean, it, it, there's always little bits of I would have liked to have seen. Here's, here's, I'll give you one thing. I was shocked that wasn't in this film because I thought it was going to be in Infinity War. The, and I, the moment was in this film and they didn't do it. Is when Cap, Iron Man and Thor got taken out and Cap's standing there with his broken shield and he stands up to Thanos right before you hear Falcon say Cap on your left. And everyone reappears. Right. Whenever they rank Captain America's most defining moments back in the old Wizard magazine or subsequent comic, you know, um, periodical since, number one is almost always uh, Infinity Gauntlet, whatever issue, I don't remember what number it is, when almost everybody's been wiped out and Cap walks right up to Thanos and Thanos says, I've killed, you know, I've taken out a god. And these, you know, these uh, superpowered beings and all this, you're nothing but a mortal man. What could you possibly do to me? How, how could you stand up to me? And Cap says, as long as one man, stands up, one man stands up against you, you can never claim victory. And I thought they were going to have him say that, and he didn't. Yeah. That's the one thing I'm like, dude, this is, you teed it up perfectly. That was, that was like his defining moment in the comics. Just like they use Spider-Man's often cited defining moment was in Homecoming. They did a, a, a version of that where he's pinned under that machinery yeah. and he uses the force of willpower to get out of it. And that was that's considered, more often than not, his singular defining moment. And they had caps right there and they didn't do it. And I don't know why. That was weird to me. Yeah, I wonder if that was ever something that they did have in the script. I feel like it's not in there because they didn't do it. But uh, I wonder if, if, never know. you know, I mean, you got a three hour and two minute movie, I guess. Uh, some things go by the wayside. But I mean, once it's three hours and two minutes, why not three hours and ten minutes? You know, yeah. I mean, what are you doing? <laughs> what did you think of uh, what did you think of Falcon becoming the new Captain America? I think uh, it's a logical choice uh, because, I mean, there's look, the case could be made for Bucky because he has been through a, a, a super soldier process. But I also, you know, I mean, look, it wasn't that long ago he was in service of Mother Russia. So maybe, maybe he's not. But I know that they've both been Captain America in the comics. I think that Sam is a great choice. I don't want him to lose the Falcon wings because that's kind of the that's kind of the best part of him. I mean, he's not a super powered character. You know, he he's he's going to be the suit just with a shield. So, I think it's a good choice. I'm very interested to see how it goes. I know that one of the Disney Plus series that they're going to do is Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And I hope it's from this point onward and not some other tale of theirs, you know, like yeah. during Civil War or some other time where they could be teaming up. Uh, so I hope it's sort of like this bringing Sam closer to being Captain America. I I think it's a – there's not a lot of clear-cut choices. I think that those are the only two that would have made sense for Steve to give the shield to. What did you think? What did you think about Sam getting the shield? Uh, I felt exactly the same way. At first I'm like, oh, they're not going to do Bucky? They're just going to yeah. skip over that. But I think it works better for the film universe they've laid out. Bucky is just too damaged. Yeah. He's too screwed up still. Um, and – from when I, the moment I saw him at the end of Black Panther, the post-credit scene, 
is it, is it in there or is it in Infinity War where he's he's referred to as the White Wolf? Yeah, I actually don't remember. It's one of the – I think it might be Black Panther, but I might, I, I'm also not 100% I think it is, sure. You know what it is? It's Black Panther. It said I think the White Wolf is rested enough or something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Now in the comics, the in the Black Panther comics, the White Wolf was um, – well, here one one of the the big tropes of the Black Panthers of all all his incarnations. Every time he gets a new book, every time a new writer would take over the Black Panther, he'd suddenly pull some long lost family member out of his ass that you never knew about. <laughs> it's like literally, they pulled out like five cousins. Jack Kirby's run, by the way, of Black Panther is a train wreck, and you should read it just for how bad it is. He suddenly pulled five cousins out of his ass that he, T'Challa had. And they become like the Black Panther Corps, the Black Panther Squad. They're all Black oh, no. Panthers. It's really bad. But that every time a new terrible. writer takes over, there's another family member. So one of the runs, a very popular one by, is it run by, is it Christopher Priest, um, which was a huge influence on the films, uh, on the film incarnation of Black Panther. He creates this character called the White Wolf, who you find who is, an a, essentially an adopted brother of T'Challa. He was some white kid in a plane. I don't remember the thing, the whole backstory that crashed in Wakanda and everyone was dead but the kid. So T'Chaka raised him as his son. And he, I forgot why they dubbed him the White Wolf, but essentially he was in charge of Wakanda's secret police force. And so there was, and, there, and they dressed like Panthers, but in white. And those were like his soldiers. Okay. And he was referred to as the White Wolf, but essentially he was a bad guy. He was always trying to protect. Wakanda, in his view, tried to protect Wakanda even from T'Challa, and we would often subvert him. Now, as soon as so now, obviously Bucky has nothing to do with that. Right. But they used the term White Wolf, and immediately I said, "Oh, Bucky is now going to be a Black Panther character." That's how I took that. Yeah. I thought, "Oh, we're going to see him in Black Panther too." So part of that made me go, "Okay, they're probably not going to make him Captain America," but like you said, he's so damaged in here. And quite frankly, and he's he's not too dissimilar from the the comic book version. He's not exactly Mister Personality. Is I can't see him being Captain America. So going to Sam, um, that scene was so great. I just let the dialogue and everything was, and it was so touching. Is seeing Sam just he says, you know, I don't. It doesn't feel like it's mine. It's the classic thing of. Whoever doesn't want to be the king should be the king. Right. He doesn't want to be the king. Yeah. And he says, yeah, it doesn't feel like it's mine. Well, it's some, it feels like it belongs to somebody else. Well, it doesn't. And he just kind of stops and he goes, you know, thank you. I'll, I'll do my best. And he goes, I know you will. <laughs> and I'm like, and that, that's that, that like gets me choked up. He's like, I know you will. Yeah. And the fact that he takes it, you like, you see him who's pretty jovial character, take it very seriously. He knew that the weight of the moment. And if you hear about how they film that, it's pretty heavy. I don't think I heard anything about how they filmed it. Oh, what they said they... they shot it, and um, Anthony Mackie broke down. He started crying. Then uh, Chris Evans started crying, and the Russos are crying, and they're like, okay, we got to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> then they'd have to do it again. They said, well, even when they before they did the scene, Evans was the one who told him uh, and or actually brought him the shield in real life and says, you're going to be the next Captain America. And he said he broke down. They, and then they started crying. Wow. You know, so he found out like right before that. And he's like, the, and, you know, and Mackie says, this is a big deal. He goes, the fact that, you know, kids are going to see black kids are going to see a black man as Captain America. And he goes, especially my sons yeah. are going to see me as Captain America. He goes, that's a, He goes, I take that very seriously. 
Yeah. So I, but he, it's just, it was the logical choice. Because his kids it, can be like, yeah, yeah, that's cool that you're Falcon. But it's like, oh, wait, you're Captain America? That's and the- it's also not, it's not the Thor thing where they're yeah. like, no, no, this is Thor. Well, Thor isn't a title. Now that Jane Foster's Thor spoiler. And all that when it you know, <laughs> yeah, became quote unquote Lady Thor. Yeah. I'm like, no, he's it's a title. He is now Cap you know, Bucky was Captain America in the comics, and then it went to Falcon. Right. For quite a while with, by the way, old Steve Rogers, who was old for quite a few years in the book. Um so I don't not that they're gonna I doubt they'll have him around. There would be no point. That's like bringing back old Spock the second time, which they shouldn't have done. Right. Well, I mean that that second movie in general was yeah, but it's like it's like you know Spock in I enjoyed into it, dark- but in hindsight, you're like eh, yeah. But Spock and Into Darkness was just there so that they could uh, you know move the story along. You know, yeah. it's like hey, is Khan a good guy? Well, I can't tell you that, but yes, he's a terrible guy. So <laughs> I, I think it was a great choice. I love um, Falcon becoming. Sam Wilson becoming Captain America. My only concern is what the costume is going to look like. Yeah. Although I assume it's going to be cool. I'm picturing what he wears now, except with the dark blue instead of the what the black, whatever, and having a star in the center of his chest. Because the one in the comics is really busy and kind of goofy, just what as was the original Falcon costume. The co- just having the white red color scheme, it just you know those lighter colors just don't transfer into real life is very well no it's true so. i mean you're yeah you're good costumes uh you know it, it's it, it's why i like the brown wolverine costume and i hate the yellow one you know right. it's just it's too bright it doesn't it doesn't make sense for that it character makes zero sense it's it's like the yellow daredevil costume it's like but yeah. you're the devil of hell's kitchen why why are you the bumblebee of hell's look kitchen? like a weird like a weird third-rate luchador <laughs> Well, uh, the obviously the future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is uh, there are a lot of question marks. We know that in about what six short weeks we'll get uh, Spider-Man: Far From Home, and I think that'll address a lot of things. They say that that is the end of Phase Four, or sorry, Phase which phase is this? Phase Three. three. Yeah, yeah. I know, I'm getting confused. That's the end of Phase Three, and uh, I mean to me, this they can say whatever they want. You know, but this is the end of, of phase three. And that one can be a footnote if that's the way that we have to we have to map it out. But uh, I, I honestly, it, unless you're right, it's a footnote unless they pull a crazy wild card and they somehow wedge in uh, some of the X-Men or, or the FF. It's an epilogue at best. Yeah, uh, I definitely I definitely agree with that. Uh, I also think that. You know, just because, well, because of antitrust laws, they couldn't have been working on anything with those characters until the merger. Mm. So uh, I don't, I believe Feige when he says it'll be like maybe about five years before we saw them in maybe in their own movies. I do think we're going to get some of those characters at some point. And as much as I love the X Men, the X Men have had movies that have been good, very good, at least enjoyable. And I'm still waiting for a good Fantastic Four movie. Uh, yeah. you know, so I'm much more excited about that. So, so many questions about the future that I look forward to, but I do like sort of the nod to the past to kind of circle back to old Steve talking to Sam and, you know, he sees the wedding ring and he's like, you going to tell me about her? And I just love the look on his face. He's like, no, I don't think I will, <laughs> you know? And, uh, I mean, I think anybody who knows him can kind of piece it to- 
together. And during that whole exchange, it's like it's almost like he's talked to Bucky about it. He like said, you know, look, Bucky, if I, it's going to be Sam one day, and I'm probably going to go try and go back through time and talk and find Peggy. You know, it's almost like Bucky just kind of knows. Maybe he just knows him really well. Well, that, that's, that's kind of the point. knowing thing. Yeah, a lot of people have brought that up. Is either he was told. Steve told him what he was going to do or he knows him so well he knew it and that's why he doesn't walk over to the bench he says go and he tells Sam to go yeah exactly he doesn't he doesn't walk out which is weird he knew one way or another he knew even if Steve didn't tell him I think he's like I know Steve you know I I I know I know what's about to happen here and it's like go go ahead Sam this is this is your by the way that's the biggest questions from this are how does he return all the stones? Like, is he going to inject? He had to. He would have to inject Jane Foster yeah. with the ether. And I want to see the discussion when he goes to see Red Skull. Yes. Hey, so. Uh, hey, buddy. Yeah. How, how you been? How's it going? <laughs> yeah. Good. Good. Yeah. Uh, I I'm I know that there's no way to do that in in movies or even you sure. know television. I'd like a a, a comic miniseries that cool. we see him actually go bring all of them back. You know, and uh, I I think that could be very interesting. It's a story that we don't need to see on the screen, but I would like to actually see that process. And as soon as he, you know, sets foot on on that little time travel pad and goes back, does he know at that moment he's going to go see Peggy? Or as he's, you know, as he's uh, quantum leaping around through time, uh, is that when he starts to think, you know what I think I'm going to do? <laughs> I think I'm going to treat myself right and uh, give myself the happy ending that uh, has been, what, 80 years in the making or whatever it is. So uh, I think it's a great end for that character. Um, as much as I'd like to see Steve again, I, you know, again, these actors don't want to play these characters forever. So I'm perfectly all right if we don't see him again. But He's not dead. It's not like there can't be interaction with old Steve Rogers, you know? And I think if at some point within a few years there's a movie where he just happens to be, I don't know, giving Sam advice or something, I'd be perfectly fine with that if we saw him again. Yeah, that, that'd be – this is a case where they could do the old Spock cameo. Yeah. And I think it would be justified because fans would love it. it. You know, look, if they want – they could do what they want. Yeah. If they wanted to, and I don't think they're good, they're going to. We could see um, in future films, you know, pre-recorded holograms from Tony Stark in case, hey, I'm not around and my shit broke down. Here's what you do. Yeah. Just something to make everyone go, oh, they wait to see him again. But at the same time, um, you know, Rambo 4, I thought, was a great ending for Rambo. And now Stallone's bringing him back. Yeah. And everything he's shown from this, it literally just looks like Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> I'm not getting a big Rambo vibe. I'm like, you had a perfect ending for the character. Why are you doing this? And I'd, I'd rather not see them again and have them ride off into the sunset, as it were, really, really well. Yeah. With a lot of class and, and a lot of emotion, a lot of emotional resonance for the audience, rather than just bring them back again for the, just for a yay moment. And then yeah. we're like, oh, they should have ended it the way they did. Well, I love the way the ending is for right now. The end of yeah. the end game. I think it's uh, it was very satisfying and, of course, uh, upsetting. But uh, for 
you know, I, I thought uh, all of Tony's moments were great because you're just like, wow, he's such a he's such an amazing part of this franchise. And, uh, you know, it's crazy to think about what was it, 12 years ago that uh, they had trouble getting an insurance policy on Robert Downey yeah. Jr., you know, so to, yeah. to just think back on all of that and, you know, how far all of it's come. It's uh, yeah. I mean, it was it was just so impressive. And I was so happy for, you know, even the stuff that was upsetting, it was all such a, such a great, it was a great, like I said, a great punctuation mark on these 22 movies. And, uh, I, I can't imagine anything ever coming close to this. And then at some point, you know, I'm going to have to, going to have to watch all these movies with Felix. And, uh, that part will be amazing to watch him watch them for the first time. Although, I don't know. I feel like this is this is like a these movies are strictly like PG thirteen. There's some pretty uh, pretty heavy content uh, concepts in there, but uh, yeah. I don't know. I I, I I think I I think I saw my first PG thirteen movie when I was like nine because actually they were new at that point. You know, they didn't really. Have I them. may have been thirteen when, yeah. <laughs> when that came out. Well, yeah, because remember. they I, like I don't think it was the first one, but Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom was one of the first because it was the, just a. I l- think I want to say the first one. And I might be wrong. The first one was Dreamscape, the Dennis Quaid film. Right. I'm, unless that might have been the first one I saw. I know it was one of the first yeah, ones. Yeah, and, and I know Dune was one of the first ones as well. You know, like, Tem- it was- Temple of Doom, Gremlins, yeah. Poltergeist were all films that led up to the creation of it. Right. Because, uh, yeah, those are definitely movies that ought to have been, but were still just PG. And it's like to have to have Star Wars and Gremlins be the same, the same, you know, the original Star Wars and Gremlins to be the same, uh, the same, uh, what do you call that, rating by the MPAA was a little silly. But anyway, I'm going to give the rating for this episode an A+. The end of Rob and I talking about uh, Endgame. And, uh, of course, at the end of the episode... Rob and I will, of course, finally get that dance that uh, we've been pining away for for so many years. That they've I, wanted it. They've wanted it since Blackcast One. Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, they've wanted it since the Dennis Miller show before there were, it was even a Blackcast. I mean, this is about twelve years in the making. Finally, Rob and I are going to dance off into the sunset, like so many of you have wanted, and you can, of course, see imagery. Not even remotely uh, comparable oh, you to want that. that in your head. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But you can go to. Uh, let's see, where can you go? You can go to, oh, RJ's Photo Picks on Instagram. Instagram and at R. Lorich on Twitter. But, you know, the Instagram is the graphic representation. Uh, Rob, it's always fun to talk about uh, talk about the comic book movies and comic books itself. So thank you for uh, taking the time. And, of course, me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at ChristianDMZ. And the Blackcast is at Blackcast on Twitter. The Blackcast on Facebook and of course blackcast.com b l a d t c a s t and if you like hearing me talk about Marvel you can hear me talk about Marvel TV Sunday nights at 9 Pacific on Afterbuzz TV Marvel TV Weekly and Marvel Movies Thursdays at 1 Pacific 4 Eastern on Marvel Movie News on the Popcorn Talk Network Rob thank you so much and of course as the great Stan Lee would say excelsior and we will see you all next time on the Blackcast. Kiss me once, then kiss me twice, then kiss me once again. It's been a long, long time. Haven't felt like this, my dear, since can't
in my head for a week and a half and I can't get anything out of it. My jumping off point will be uh, it's a remake of Phantom of the Park as like Phase 4 or something. Yeah, like the Phantom, some kind of Phantom Thanos thing. Yes. I I can't, there's something there, I just can't see it. Yeah, 